Okay, people, places, let's go. Morning, church. How are we doing today? I want to say good morning to Southwest Dripping Springs and also Building D as well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, first book in your Bible. I've got a character for you today, and, and I'll say this about this character. Um, a lot of characters in the Bible, I, I love the Bible. It's brutally honest. It shows you the failures. It shows you the successes. It doesn't hold back the details. And a lot of times I'll read about someone's dumb decisions in the scriptures and I don't feel sorry for them. I'm like, what are you thinking? This character, I actually feel a lot of compassion for, a lot of um, sentimentality, if you will, for her. Um, so I think you'll enjoy her today. Her name is Sarah. And I want to talk about Sarah today. Um, when I meet with people over the years, as I get older, I, I've, I've heard this phrase often with, with guys, midlife crisis. And I think midlife crisis seems to be a real thing for guys. And I kind of make the joke about most guys in midlife crisis, they bust their family up, they get a Corvette, they move to Myrtle Beach and unbutton their shirt more and put chains on. And it, they just go through this midlife crisis. And I used to think that women didn't necessarily have a midlife crisis. I hadn't thought about it as much. But as I go through life, I think women have midlife crisis as well. And it used to be, I believe, women would have their midlife crisis usually in their 50s when the last kid goes to college and they're trying to find their identity and who they are. But as I've gotten older, I've watched midlife crisis, it seems to come to women even younger. Like instead of the 50s, then it became the 40s. And I believe I see women now have a midlife crisis in their 30s. And I think part of the reason is as little girls... We raise these little girls, and they don't have time to be little girls. They, we, we start putting the makeup on so early, and they even have to dress sexy, and, and you just get into this, this womanhood thing, and, and I see this midlife crisis happening with women. And, and whether it's a man or a woman, I hear words when they talk about midlife crisis like uh, fault, uh, happiness, um, shame, uh, deserve, need, um, contentment, and Here's what I never hear anyone say. I've never heard someone say, I believe I'm going through all the pain of my life now because I made such dumb decisions as a young person. Because I didn't walk with God as a teenager. I didn't date with God's understanding. I didn't marry with God's understanding because I made all those decisions that these things have affected my life now and I'm working through those consequences and those effects. Most of us, if we're honest, believe that all of those things in the past should not have any effect our consequence moving forward. And it's true that if you sin and you confess it to the Lord, he forgives you that that sin is wiped away. That's true. But it doesn't necessarily mean the consequences and the effects of those sins still aren't going to cause problems as you move forward in the future. 
And so I want to look at who I believe probably had the most monumental midlife crisis in the Bible, and her name is Sarah. We're going to start in chapter 12, but let me kind of give you a running start up to chapter 12. So back in chapter 3, you have the Garden of Eden, you have Adam and Eve, and Eve listens to the serpent. She's deceived. She takes of the fruit. She bites of the fruit. She gives it to her passive husband who was actually sitting there and should have been protecting his wife and he wasn't doing it. And then all of a sudden they're kicked out of the garden. And everything turns from trusting God, believing God is good, to shame and fear and hiding from God. And then all of a sudden they're out of the garden. So they do what a lot of us think. Well, let's have a kid. That'll make everything better. And so they have children because that always makes it easier. And then she has a, a son who actually murders the other son. Cain kills Abel. And then God comes in his grace and gives her another son, Seth. And it's not that Seth takes away the pain of Abel, but it helps as she now has Seth. And Seth will be the one that the promises of the Lord come through. And then Seth, as he gets married and gets older, he has a son. His name is Noah. And then Noah, you know the story of Noah. Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And as we watch these boys grow up, and again, God looks at mankind and says, man did what was continuously evil all the time. He sends the flood. He, in his grace, protects this one family. These three boys come out of that family. Ham, we find out later, is just a peeping Tom. He's kind of a pervert. And then Japheth, we really don't see anything special by him. But God says Shem is the one that the promise, the truth, the protection of the Lord will continue to come through. Shem has a son named Terah, and Terah has a son named Abram. Now, Abram is Sarah's husband. If you look back at 11 verse 30, here's what we find out about Sarah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. Now, just so you know, the Bible mentions Sarah's name 58 times more than the Apostle John. But for six chapters, and she's in six chapters, for six chapters, that's all it tells you about her. That she was barren, and it tells you several times, and she couldn't have any children. So you're in a, a culture where men are dominant. That's strike one, she's a woman. And you're in a culture where the woman's job was to provide specifically sons. That's strike two. Sarah's almost out. Sarah's out of joy. She's sad. I think she's broken. And I think a lot of times we read this story through the eyes of Abraham, and yet we forget about Sarah in this story. And so I want to kind of look at this story through the eyes of Sarah this morning because my heart breaks for this woman. She is in a culture where her value has been taken away in her mind and everyone else's mind because she is barren. And so as we look at this story, I think you'll feel the same sadness for her as well. It starts right in chapter 12. So Abraham, we call it the Abrahamic covenant that God comes to Abraham, not Sarah, Abraham, and says, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna give you land, seed, and blessing. That's called the Abrahamic covenant. It's right here in verse one, two, and three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from, and I want you to see how many times you or your is in these three, three verses. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make who? You 
a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And my thought is, what about Sarah? It's great, Abraham gets all these revelations from God, which I'm going to show you, and Sarah never gets one. God never comes to Sarah. God never speaks to Sarah the way he speaks to Abraham through this text. And and Sarah's somewhere lost. I think her identity is taken away in these chapters. I think her identity is lost because she is, as we're reminded, barren and could not have children. Sarah's probably thinking, great, all I have is this creepy nephew named Lot that always follows us around. Don't know what to do with him. But I believe Sarah is losing her identity. At this point, Abram's 75 years old and Sarah's 65 years old, hardly a midlife crisis anymore. But in the Bible times, we'll say this is still a midlife crisis. But it's going to get a lot worse for her as we walk through this. And I think Sarah's probably thinking as time passes, and maybe this sounds familiar, maybe God needs a little help. You ever thought that? God, I know you're sovereign and everything. I know you created the universe. I know you walked on water. But maybe you need my help a little bit on this situation. Maybe I need to come up with a plan to work out this situation. And before we get more into the text, I want you to know this. I've said this before. I believe the root of every sin in our life is that we doubt God's goodness. That's where every sin starts. Is God good and can I trust him? And when I start to doubt that he's trustworthy or that he's good, that's where sin starts in my heart. And so Sarah, I believe, is struggling with those thoughts. Jump down with me to verse 10. This is one of the weird stories in the life of Sarah. And I'm just going to read several verses to you. Starting in 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land. Now, question, who, who does a famine come from? God. That's, that's always the answer here at Austin Ridge. You don't just say God. You're probably right. God. So the famine comes from God. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. Abram never prays. It never talks about him seeing if that's God's will. He just comes up with a plan and goes down to Egypt to take care of himself. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Who's that all about? Abraham. It's all about Abraham. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. She's not taken into Pharaoh's house because she's a good conversationalist. This is to be intimate with this woman. Verse 16, and for her sake... He dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Great. Abraham lies about me, doesn't protect me. Now he gives me to another man, but he gets a bunch of livestock. And I imagine Sarah's thinking, well, if I can't give him a son, then maybe I can give him some farm animals. (laughs) I'm sure you've had that conversation in your house. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house, because if Abraham's not going to be a man, God will be, with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, 
Here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, what is interesting to me in that whole entire text is that Sarah doesn't say a word. One commentator said that maybe the greatest miracle in the Bible is that through that situation, Sarah doesn't speak. Doesn't say a word. Other people think, well, it's because Sarah had such amazing faith. I don't think that was it either. Here's what I think is going on. She is speechless. <laughs> Has your spouse ever been so dumb that you have literally been speechless? Like, <laughs> like I don't know what to say right now. I believe this woman who is 65 years old, who has been hoping to have a child her entire life who has lost her identity and God has spoken to her husband and blessed her husband and her husband's being dumb. I just think she's hopeless at this point. I think she is hitting a huge midlife crisis. Once again, God has blessed my husband. You look over in Genesis 14, Abram rescues Lot. And I think Sarah's sitting there thinking, great, when's God gonna rescue me? And then he gets blessed by this ninja-like priest called Melchizedek that just kind of shows up and disappears. And then Abraham runs home. Guess what? I got blessed by God again. Guess what God told me? Guess what this man did? And I think Sarah's sitting there just thinking, great, I'm just getting older. Do you love me, God? What about me, God? Do you care about me? Are you gonna bless me? When am I gonna encounter you, God? And then you get to Genesis 15 and God speaks to Abram again. You're going to have a son. Abraham runs home. Guess what? We're going to have a son. Sarah, who's now very old, is thinking, great, good for you. I guess I should just die so you can get married, so you can have this life. I think this woman, I have great compassion for at this point. I think she is sad. I think she's bitter. I think she's angry. I think she's hurt. I think she's wondering why God talks, but God never does anything. And then you get to chapter 16, which we'll spend some time there in 16. Because I think chapter 16 shows you what a hopeless, angry, sad, midlife, Christ-laden, discontented woman or man can do. When we get to these points in our lives, I've seen men and women come up with crazy plans trying to make life happen the way they want it to happen. And they're not victims because they're just making crazy plans. And, and that word victim, we like to use it in our culture let me say this. Okay, let's say you are a victim. You still have to move on. Like in this culture, guess what? We all have things from our past that embarrass us. We all have family members that we don't want to sit with beside Thanksgiving and we try to do the musical chair so we don't have to sit by that guy. We all have struggles. So just, you got to get past it. And I know some of us will go through life, our entire lives, thinking we're a victim, which means everyone else is at fault and I'm never at fault. Here's the deal biblically, you gotta deal with you. Most of the sin in your life is not because of other people, it's because of you. Most of the struggle in my life is because of my sinful flesh. And all I can do is work on me, I can't change anybody. If you've been married at any time at all, you know that's true, you can't change anybody. I got to deal with me. And I think Sarah is sad. So Sarah's going to plan. She's going to come up with a plan, and it's a nutso plan. Chapter 16, verse 1. Ready? 
Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. The Bible constantly reminds us of that. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now, where did this woman come from? Because they went back in chapter 12 into Egypt, which they shouldn't have gone because they weren't trusting God. And now she has this female Egyptian woman. Think of her as like a personal assistant or a nanny. So she has this woman. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Probably the first time Abram ever listened to her. (laughs) This lady's 75 years old. She's been waiting on God for a long time. And so what she does is what we often do. That she starts to plan And when you start to plan apart from God, that's when you start to fail. And this woman starts to plan. What she's going to do here is the same thing that Abraham did to her. Abraham gave her to another man. Now she wants to give another woman to her husband, Abraham. She's thinking, see if this sounds familiar. I don't think God has performed the way I'd like God to perform my life. So I'm going to fix it. And that's where we start to go down the path of destruction. She comes up with this plan, and it's going to go from bad to worse. And I think this woman is really hurting. Here's a point I want to make. When you sin, you pick up baggage that leads to other problems down the road. It'd be great if your sin could just be kind of contained, and you sin, you ask for forgiveness, and God just, okay, we'll quarantine this sin off for the rest of your life. All sin has more effect in your life moving forward. They shouldn't have been in Egypt. They shouldn't have taken this woman. And now this woman is going to come back and bite them because, let's be honest, Sarah really doesn't want to trust God anymore. And she really doesn't think, if she's honest, that he's maybe all that good. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're at that point this morning. I know Sarah's bitter because of verse 2. The Lord has prevented me. I think this woman has no identity at this point, I will take things into my hands because God is not doing what God should be doing. The Lord's done this to me. God's at fault. Abraham's at fault. And we're going to find out in a minute, Hagar's at fault. Everyone's at fault except Sarah because she's the victim. I think Sarah's thinking, I want to have a baby. God said I'd have a baby and I don't have a baby. God gets an elf in Godness. God You're not doing what I want you to do. Does this this sound familiar to any of us? God, I want a husband. God, why can't I get pregnant? God, why can't I carry a baby to full term? And then what happens in our lives, when God doesn't perform the way we think he should, we start to get bitter, we start to get angry, and we start to plan. And then we cause more anger and more misery in our life. And then we feel more justified in being mad at God because now our life is even worse off. And it's just a mess. God sinned against me. God's the failure. Let me give you another point here. When we think God has failed, we start to plan. And when we start to plan apart from God, we start to fail. I wonder what plans just in this room this morning have already been instigated by people trying to fix their life because God hasn't done it the way they want it to. 
Sarah does the same thing involving Abram with another woman that he had done to her. Really, this is echoing the first sin in Genesis 3 because in Genesis 3, you have Adam and Eve. Here you have Abram and Sarah. Genesis 3, you had two trees. Here you have two women. In Genesis 3, you have one tree is acceptable to enjoy, one's forbidden. Now you have one woman that's acceptable to enjoy, one is forbidden. In Genesis 3, it's Eve who took the fruit and gave it to her husband. Here it's the woman giving the woman to her husband. I don't think Sarah's a victim. I think she's coming up with a crazy plan. And they look at verse 3. So typical of humans right here. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Really? So you come up with this plan because you really don't want to trust God, and you really don't believe he's good, and then once the plan actually happens the way you had planned it, now you're upset at the person who you pulled in to your sinful plan. Verse 5. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Hmm. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived and she looked on me with contempt, may the Lord judge between you and me. <laughs> really? It, what she does here is she gets all King James, what Christian, Christians start talking Christianese, like, may my enemies be smiteth. May the Lord get you back. You see, when you're a victim, you often feel justified in victimizing someone else. By the way, who is Hagar? Hagar is the mother of the Arab people where the Muslim Islamic religion comes from. So what happens is Hagar has a son named Ishmael, and now what, what people do is they take that and they rewrite the Bible and say the blessing comes through Ishmael. All of this because a woman was not trusting the Lord. Now again, I have compassion on her. I get it. It would be, I can't imagine as a woman being her age and being barren in this culture. I can't imagine it. So she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. Look at verse six. But Abram said to Sarah, behold your servants in your power. He basically just gives her a whip. Do to her as you please. He walks out. He goes to play golf. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. That word harshly is the same word in the Hebrew that speaks of Pharaoh treating the Israelites harshly. Again, the point is, when we see ourselves as a victim, we feel justified in victimizing others. You see, when you feel like you've been wronged, then you feel justified in wronging someone else. You feel justified in the retaliation. And really what it comes down to is, Sarah, can you trust God? Sarah, do you believe he's good? Yeah, but I'm, Sarah, can you trust God? Yeah, but you don't, Sarah, can you believe he's good? Now Sarah's going to retaliate. And I don't know what this harsh guy, I don't know what, what it was like in this house. I don't know how bad this guy, I don't know if it's fist fighting, I don't know if it's your person's shoes don't match, how dare you? I don't know what this got between these two women, but it was enough to make this woman flee. Verse seven, 
The angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Notice when it says the angel of the Lord there in your Bible, the Lord is capitalized. I believe this is not just any old angel. This is Jesus pre-incarnate. Before he became flesh, he is presenting himself to Hagar because he is a God of compassion. Now, here's what you got to understand, too. So far in this story, Abraham got revelations, many of them. Hagar now gets a revelation from God. Who's the only person in the story that doesn't get a revelation from God? The only person in the story who hasn't encountered God. The very thing that Sarah's wanting, now Hagar gets. It says, return to your mistress. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, Hagar is going to go back and say, you'll never believe what happened. God came to me and said, I'm going to have a bunch of babies. And you're holding Abraham's baby. Can you imagine what Sarah's going through? The pain, the hurt, the brokenness. And then look down at verse 13. Hagar says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. The God of seeing, what that means is you're the God that is never idle. You're the God that's never powerless. You're the God who's never at a loss of what to do. You're a God who's never in the corner. You're a God who never resorts to a plan B. You're the God who sees everything. You see, when we think we can't trust God, think about this. If God created the universe and he created everything in the universe, even the stuff that's happening to you right now, and he's bigger than it is. See, here's another point for you. Destruction happens when you forget who's really in charge and you try to be. Isn't that so right? When I try to be in charge, bad things happen. Let's go on. Verse 15. Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram, which means Sarah is now 76 years old, past midlife crisis, still barren, still sad. Genesis 17, a blessing finally is going to come to Sarah. God speaks to Abraham again. He says, Abraham, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which Abram means exalted father. Now your name's going to mean multitude of many. So again, Abraham comes home, guess what? God spoke to me, he changed my name, I'm now to be called Abraham, the father of many. What's Sarah thinking? Good for you. <laughs> but then Sarah's name gets changed by God's too, from Sarai to Sarah. Sarah means princess. Because I'm going to bring kings from your lineage, therefore I'm going to make you a princess. Sarah's name, as I said, was mentioned 58 times in the Bible, more than the Apostle John. Sarah's the only woman in the Bible that God changes her name. Sarah's the only woman in the Bible that her, her death is given in detail in the scriptures. No other woman has that privilege. But Sarah is struggling trusting God and believing that God is good. Look at verse 21. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Abraham has some visitors. They come to him. He's like, I'm going to come back this time next year, and Sarah's going to have a baby. And Abraham's thinking, got to get frisky with the old lady. She's 76 years old. 
Y'all know the word frisky, right? That's, that's probably like an old word. Probably no one uses that word anymore. It's church qualified. <laughs> Chapter 18, let's see it. Verse one, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. It's interesting, these three guys show up and he runs out there to them. They're gonna talk to him. Jump down with me to verse nine. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? It's the first time in all these chapters that anything about Sarah is mentioned except the fact that she can't have kids. Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And notice again, the Lord, this is capital L. Again, this, I believe this is the same one that revealed himself to Hagar, the pre-incarnate Jesus. He's asking, where's Sarah? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Some things never change. (laughs) Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, which means it is impossible physically, medically for this woman to have a baby. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure. She laughs in front of Jesus of what Jesus is saying he's going to do. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And then I love this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That word hard there carries out in Hebrew of marvelous. Is anything too marvelous for the Lord? If God can create the universe, is anything in your life right now too hard for him to do? If God can walk on water, you think he can't handle your financial situation? If God can turn water into wine, you think he can't change your marriage? I get so tired of hearing Christians give up on God because God never gives up on you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's the greatest rhetorical question I believe in the Bible. The other time it's mentioned is when the angel comes to Mary, which we're gonna look at at Christmas Eve together, and says, you're gonna have a child. And she was a virgin. And the angel says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about the time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. She lied saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. See, Genesis 3, you sin, now you're afraid because sin brings shame and it brings fear and you hide from God. She said, I didn't lie. He said, the Lord, no, but you did laugh. I love what Jesus does here with her. Calls her out. No, you did laugh. And you're not gonna talk anymore about it. You're not gonna say anything else, period. You laughed. Do you understand that you and I live before the God who sees every moment of every day? The God who hears every moment of every day? The God who nothing is impossible for? He says, no, you did laugh. The sin here is that Sarah thinks in her heart that God has failed. She laughs at the word of God. Are there parts of the Bible that you don't like? Hmm, let's hit some, shall we? (laughs) 
certain parts of the Bible that you're thinking, well, if I bring a guest, I hope he doesn't talk about that. You know what I'm talking about? I have people come to me, I got a guest here, what are you going to talk about? I'm like, God. <laughs> are there parts of the Bible that you start to twitch about? I don't like that. Paul is a chauvinist. I don't like Paul. I don't like, that's Old Testament. That doesn't count anymore. <laughs> I went to college. I have a degree. Submit, love, forgive. Nope. Don't like that. I'll do it with those three people. I'm not doing that with her. Don't gossip. Yeah, but you don't understand. She hurt my feelings. I've got a prayer request now. <laughs> Dress with modesty, the Bible says. Oh, no, no, no. You don't understand. I cut carbs. I look good. <laughs> I dress less because I'm confident if you have a problem with it, you're just jealous. What part of the Bible do you not like? Do not covet. I don't have a problem with that one, really. I wish I had that spouse. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that car. I wish I had those kids. I wish I had that job. I wish I had that title. I don't like that part. Now the parts that say how much God loves you, I like those parts. That part about heaven, I take that very literally. There's just these other parts I don't really like too much. You know, people will say to me sometimes, They'll say, the reason I don't go to church anymore, the reason I don't walk with God, because I've got, and they'll give me some intellectual problem they have with God. If God is so good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Or, you know, did Adam have a belly button? Or whatever intellectual, philosophical problem they've, they've and it's a cop-out is what it is. Because here's the deal. There's a lot of part of scripture that I don't understand. That's not what I have a problem with. What I have a problem with is the part of the scriptures that I do understand. I have a problem with the parts of Scripture that are crystal clear. I just don't like it. If we're being honest, there's parts of Scripture we just don't like. And we get to pick the ones we like, and we get to pick the ones we use against other people. And here's Jesus, and Sarah's laughing. I think Sarah's just tired. I think she's sad. I think she's angry. I think she's probably bitter. I think she's hurt. And the first time she actually has a revelation from God, she's hiding and laughing. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I love how God just bottom lines it. Is anything impossible for me? With people, it's impossible, but with me, anything's possible. And I know some of you may be here this morning, you're very frustrated with God if you were honest. God didn't perform the way I thought he should. God, I want a husband. Hello, where's my husband? God, I want a baby. Hello, where's my baby? God, I need a job. Why am I still unemployed? And we kind of take out our wooden spoon on God sometimes. And I think that's where Sarah is. Sarah's frustrated because God's timing's not her timing. And Jesus is so compassionate here. If I'd have been Jesus at this point, I'd probably say, you know what? I'm bringing another flood right into this house. I'm done with this. I'm done with this woman. Child out of wedlock, immorality, lying, deceiving. I'm, I'm tired. She's laughing at me. But he, Jesus is so compassionate. He's still going to bring a child to this unbelieving woman at this point. He's still going to bring a child and bless this woman even though she has doubts. 
Aren't you glad God treats us that way too? But we do is we become the victim. You don't understand me. You don't know my heart. You don't know what I've been through. You can't judge me. You're right. I can't judge you, but Jesus can and he will. We've got to deal with ourselves. See, unbelief is sin. We tend to think of unbelief as this, oh, just, I struggle with belief sometimes. Unbelief, biblically speaking, is sin. God gives it a big deal. He says, no, you did laugh. It's a big deal in the scriptures. Because what it's saying is, God, you're a liar. I don't trust you, and I really don't think you're good. You know, I was talking to a friend out in the hall who has a special needs daughter, and I've walked with his friend years through a special needs daughter, and I have a special needs son who's, I've been praying for healing for my son now for 16 years, and God hasn't healed my son, and God hasn't healed her daughter. And she came to me, she said, I don't have a problem with God, if God can, I know he can. I have a problem with why he won't. I know he can, but will he? And that's the same problem I've had with my son. And here's my answer for it. God will heal my son. God will heal your daughter. It may not be on this side of the grave. It may be on the other side of the grave. God's gonna heal him. The answer is yes, what's the question? But it's hard, isn't it? Because some of you have been praying about some stuff for a long time. And you're thinking, God, you must not care because you're not answering the way I'm praying. What if the answer is not the issue with God? Maybe the issue is just becoming more intimate with you. Maybe the process is more important than the result to God. Maybe the brokenness is the gift. I know some of you are thinking, I don't want that gift anymore. I'm tired of it. Move on to somebody else. I've got my share of that gift. <laughs> you know, Christians say weird things to people. You ever have someone, well, God won't give you more you can handle, so he must think a lot of you. I don't want to hear that anymore. I wish you would think less of me on this issue and just take it away. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? You pray and you pray and you pray. Moms, no matter how much you pray for your kids, your kids are gonna make dumb decisions. They're gonna do dumb things and they're gonna make dumb mistakes just like you did. And you pray and you pray and you pray. But God is good and you can trust him. How do I know that? Because we're all still sitting here breathing this morning. That means he's better to us than we deserve. And I believe this woman becomes a hero. How do I know that? Well, I'm gonna give you the New Testament tombstone of Sarah. First Peter, we'll put it on the screen for you. First Peter chapter three, verse six. Here's the New Testament tombstone for Sarah. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I love that. Do what's right and don't fear anything that's frightening. And you are a child of Sarah. What if, what if we rejoiced and trusted and grew in our faith for the Lord before he gives the child? What if we celebrated his goodness before he gives us the job? What if we thanked him before there was any light at the end of any tunnel? What if we could just say, God, I know you're good and I trust you, and I don't understand what you're doing, but why is not my issue. I just wanna know what. I wanna know how you want me to respond to you based on what you're doing, because you don't waste pain, and I know you're always at work, and I know you're good. That we too could be children of Sarah, that we're not afraid of anything that's frightening, not because it's not fearful, 
but because God is that awesome. Amen? Is God going to heal my son? Yep. When? I have no idea. When's not my business. Why is he doing it? Not my business. What's my business? My business is to be faithful. My business is to go home and take care of him. What's your business? Be faithful. Well, Brad, I don't understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand. Be faithful in the things you do understand. Because he's good. Amen? Lord, thank you for this awesome example called Sarah, the princess, the one who laughs, the one who fails, the one who falls, the one who plans, the one who deceives, the one who lies, and yet the one that you bless, and I'm so glad that you do that in our lives too. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are faithful. I pray that my friends here at Austin Ridge, folks, listen to the sermon right now, different campuses, different venues, or sometime this week, maybe listen on Facebook Live right now, that as you're listening and you're going through something that you just need to trust the Lord with. Lord, would you overwhelm us and take away the bitterness and take away the sadness and help us to find joy in the midst of darkness at times. That we could submit to you fully and rejoice in you fully and thank you completely before the answers come because we know you're good and we know you're trustworthy. And I pray, Father, that we would be reminded daily that nothing is too hard for the Lord. It's in that mighty name that we pray and start our weekend, in the name of Jesus. Amen.